On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today, we are speaking with Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen, the New York Times bestselling co-authors of The Wife Between Us, An Anonymous Girl, and You Are Not Alone. They released their fourth novel, The Golden Couple, today. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Sarah and Greer. Thank you so much for having us. Thrilled to be here. Good, good. You know, we weren't sure we were ever going to get you on the podcast because you guys snaked right under the pandemic wire, right? You Are Not Alone came out in, I believe, February. 2020? Is that right? It actually came out on March 3rd, and it was our third book. And it's funny because Sarah's like a little superstitious, and she said that she has always disliked the number three. And then it was our third book, and it came out on 3 3 into a pandemic. So, well, seems well founded that you don't like the number three then. (laughs) Well, and it was a little crazy because we were out on book tour and we've been hearing rumblings about the pandemic, but nobody was quite sure yet what it was or what it would mean. I mean, certainly we didn't know we would still be talking about it and it would still be current today. But we were in the middle of book tour, and on one particular day, we were scheduled to be in three different airports in three different hotel rooms. And we made the decision, let's call off the tour right now. We are going to become super spreaders. This is not a good idea. We went home, and, and that was it, halfway through tour. Oh, so it was a little a little crazy. Yeah, but everything was planned for a traditional kind of release. And we, we talked to an author last week who now... She released her second book during the pandemic. It's wild, I know. And luckily at the tail end, but I want to talk about quickly before we get into The Golden Couple, how it's been promoting and writing uh, during the pandemic. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that, you know, obviously because we canceled our tour halfway through and there were no Zoom events then, like nobody knew how to promote after that. So everything just stopped. But in the two years since then, You know, there have been so many advances in these types of events. So we are doing so much more online. And I guess the only sad part is that Sarah and I loved going on tour. We had like rituals of like a glass of wine before an event. And then we were often celebrating something. And so the one downside is that we won't, you know, we don't have that together time that we had. But the advantage is we can do so many more and we can do a lot more dividing and conquering. Well, that's a very balanced way to look at it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think given that you guys write together, that was one of the strengths. You know, we've both seen you in person on your book tours. I saw you for The Wife Between Us and the two of you together, it is, it's a really like a dynamic duo. And I can see what you're saying, that you don't get to kind of vibe off each other the way that you do on a live tour. So that was one thing that's difficult now. Yeah. 
and off each other and also off the readers. You know, yeah. when people come to our events, it is so wonderful to talk to them, to connect with them, to hear their takes on the book, what they liked, what character they hated. That makes it three-dimensional to us. This imaginary world we've been living in suddenly is real to other people and they have opinions and thoughts about it. So that is something that's really hard to not have. But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, we've got all of these great virtual events. So it's so much better than the alternative, which would be just sitting alone yeah. in, you know, in front of our computer. Yes. So it's, it's nice to, to have this. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Great. Just to echo what Sarah was saying, too, because even when you're doing these Zoom events, even if there are readers out there listening, you don't see them in the same way. Like you can't hear them laughing or nodding right. in recognition. So it does change the, the feel of it. It does. It does. But we're rolling with it, right? So we're really excited to hear you tell us a little bit about The Golden Couple. Yeah, The Golden Couple is the story of Avery, who's a therapist who lost her license. And this is not a spoiler to say that from like page three, this couple comes into her office, Marissa and Matthew Bishop, and the husband thinks they're there because there is an issue with their young son. But what he doesn't know is that Marissa is about to tell him that she cheated on him and he's been completely blindsided. And so it's told from alternating points of view, which Sarah and I love to do. So you have Marissa's story and Avery's story, and then things go from there. Talk about an explosive beginning. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right out of the gate. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about Avery is that she is a total maverick. She does not play by anybody's rules but her own. And she has created a 10-session process. Her deal is she will evaluate you as a potential client. You can bring whatever in the door you want to bring. You can bring, you know, issues with your mother or whatever it is, childhood trauma, you know, trauma with your boss. And if she can fix you in 10 sessions, she will take you on as a client, but you have to do what she says. Yeah. Yeah. A maverick. I love that. That is a great description. And that's a perfect segue because that's who we want to talk about first. We know you both feel very strongly about writing relatable female protagonists in distress or conquering things, which is exactly the type of protagonists we love to talk about here on this podcast. Ones we like to call complicated women. So we'd love to hear more as you just started to talk about, about Avery and how you came up with her and sort of maybe any challenges challenges you found in writing her. Well, the genesis of the book, I should say, was that our editor gave us this title, The Golden Couple, which is an unusual way to think about launching a book. But she just had this great title and she thought we could really do something special with it. So that was sort of the the launching point. But early on, Sarah and I created this therapist and we knew we wanted her. In in fact, this 10 session method was really like the bones of the book for a while. And we did like her because she is complicated. You know that she's been in this complicated marriage, plays by her rules. She feels very, you know, strongly about doing things her way. And I think I would say the greatest challenge for her was just making sure that people felt her heart and her soul, because especially when you have like a complicated character, characters don't always need to be likable, but you want the reader to be able to connect with them. And so that was something we, in the editing process, went back to layer that 
I fell for Avery in a big way, right from page one. I love the rebel. And it's that she's not callous. She's too big for the the box of the rules that psychotherapy world puts on her. And she's like, no, I can do this my own way. And I fell for her right from the start. But there's also Marissa. And Marissa comes to Avery. She thinks because she has a secret to tell her. And obviously, we know more comes out. And she ends up really needing Avery in a way that she didn't expect. I want to read uh, a line from Avery about Marissa. When new clients come to me with a confession, it's often camouflaged for their actual issue, which exists below the surface of their conscious lives. It lurks in a place that feels too hazy and perilous for them to enter alone, if their mind allows them to be aware of it at all. Sarah, that's so good. <laughs> so, I remember that paragraph. Yeah, I mean, it's, fa- it's a fantastic paragraph and line and theme of the whole book. So I want to talk a little bit about Marissa, too. Obviously, she's half of the golden couple. But without any spoilers, you know, how did you come up with Marissa? How did you develop her? Any challenges? Marissa was tricky because she represents what I think a lot of us see on social media, which is the best life, the best face. You are just putting the good stuff out there. You're putting out the roses you might have gotten for Valentine's Day. You're not putting out like what your kitchen sink looks like on a typical Monday morning or you're stepping in something at the dog park or, you know, whatever it is. But Marissa really embodies that. She's one of these women that seems to, and I say seems to, because it's important, because nobody actually does this. She seems to glide through a golden kind of existence. She has a marriage that seems very enviable to a, you know, a handsome, successful, charismatic man. She has a sweet son. She has a big, beautiful house. She works, but it's on her terms. She owns a little shop, and it's a beautiful space, of course, with these carefully curated luxury items. But like everybody else, she's struggling. There are cracks in Marissa and the foundation of her life. And I think that was, Greer and I both felt like that was really important to explore because there's a sense of disconnection a lot of us feel these days when everybody does look like they have it together. And when you're struggling with whatever it is, an aging parent, somebody in your family who's sick, or just your own feelings of, I'm not enough of this, whatever it is, you can feel more and more isolated when you're seeing proof that everybody out there seems to be having a better time and a better life than you. So we really wanted to take this character and explore the complexity of her. Here's her public face, but here's what's really going on with her. And it's pretty messy. Oh, I love that. So I want to talk about you two. So on Pop Fiction Women, we love a second act or second chance at a dream, a love, a life that went unexplored. And you two are overwhelming proof that second acts can often outshine the first ones because you both started whole new careers after having established successful careers as a women's fiction writer and a women's fiction editor. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about why you trusted those signs that it was time for something new and of course how you found the courage to actually take that leap so like you said i had been an editor for 20 years and in the back of my mind I always wanted to write, but I was at my desk and it's a really scary leap, even though, you know, I've been a very collaborative editor. It's very different writing a book. But my husband, who I had like 16 years earlier taken out my 401k and given it to him for him to start his business. And so at that point, he said to me, it's your turn, quit and see where it takes you. 
Sarah and I had worked together for eight books, and we had gotten very close. We had a number of uncanny similarities. We both terrible cooks. We both exact same age. We studied psychology and journalism. And when I quit, I wasn't telling a lot of people that I wanted to write on my own. But I confessed this to Sarah because I was reaching out to her like as a friend. Like I have this ideas, and she was incredibly supportive and said, "Why don't we write a book together?" And she had written these eight amazing books on her own. But she's very instinctive, intuitive, and she just said, "I feel like we could do something really great together." And so that's what started things, from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was you know Greer and I kind of progressed from editor and writer. It was always super friendly, like we hit it off, you know, the first time we met. But then we began to, you know, hey, I'm coming to New York. Let's have dinner, and we would sit and we would close out the restaurant. You know, I think once somebody thought that she was proposing to me or I was proposing to her because <laughs> we were like holding hands and weeping by the end of the night. So um, it sounds do you like Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so Greer had, you know, confided in me, I want to write. She had left her editing job and we had stayed in touch, of course. And she said, do you mind if I, you know, bounce some ideas off you, talk about what I'm doing? And so I think that gave me the courage to think about us in a different framework of not editor and author, not friends, but what would be the next step? Collaborators. And so without giving it a lot of thought, which I tend to do when I have a really strong gut feeling, it usually serves me well. I just said, you know what, let's write a book together. It'll be fun. Let's do it. And there we go. The next day we were off and running. Clearly that has worked. I love that. And it's just, you can trace back the story, but you'll never know what was the thing. Why did you tell Sarah? that you were thinking about writing. Sarah, why did you just think I got it? You know, I know it's gut and it's intuition, but it's something that's so people want to know, like what made you do it? And it's just, sometimes it's just a feeling. It's just, you just know you have to do it. It was like, it was such a magical experience. Sorry, I just have to say, because I think that there's something really true about that. And it was almost like that first book was like, you know, when you fall in love with somebody and like everything was just so giddy and joyous, and especially the first book, because there's no expectations, right? There's just these blank pages and this great idea. And we were just like, had no idea what was going to even happen with the book. So giddy and joyous. I love that. It is hard yeah, to replicate. And a terrible first draft. Oh, and, a, wow. and I just want to put this out there for the writers <laughs> out there. A terrible first draft. I mean, <laughs> this thing you could read as an example of what not to do for your first 50 page draft. But we were just throwing it down there and having fun. But I think that's important because I know that a lot of writers and a lot of people who want to write books feel like it should almost flow out magically. And definitely there's a lot of going back and and revising and tinkering. And, and, you know, Greer and I talk a lot about every single scene before they're ever on the page. So we don't want to make it sound simple or easy because even after so many books, it isn't. And the process can be magical, but the result, especially on a first draft, isn't always. So, you know, that's part of how it works. And I want to talk about, because not only did you switch from writing, Sarah, you writing women's fiction, and then Greer, you editing women's fiction. So now you're co-authors and you decide to do something completely different. What was the draw to psychological suspense thrillers to this genre? 
Well, you know what's funny is when Sarah and I decided to write together, we both went to our bookshelves, and Sarah's in D.C. and I'm in Manhattan, and we pulled down some of our favorite books from the past few years. And probably, unsurprisingly, there was like a lot of overlap, and it was like Gone Girl and Leon Moriarty and You Should Have Known by Jean Hannah Korlitz. And what we realized, there was a theme that they were strong female protagonists, and they were all psychological in nature. Now, like you said, Sarah had written women's fiction. I had primarily edited women's fiction. But we did know we wanted to do a thriller. And I think, maybe humbly, I'll say, like, the wife between us, because we didn't really know how to write a thriller, which was part of the problem of why all those drafts were really bad at first. But I think we didn't really know that there were rules. And so we weren't afraid of painting outside the numbers. But we just knew, I don't even know if in the beginning we thought so much it was going to be a thriller as just knowing we wanted suspense elements and strong female protagonists and then it just kind of evolved we didn't really know what we were doing (laughs) and so again there's that magic because even though you didn't know what you were doing you you ended up setting the the stage for all of your books to come and did you talk at that time about dual point of view and how you were going to write it from multiple points of view you mean after the wife between us where we committed to doing yeah before when you decided you didn't realize you were deciding for all of your books or is that just something you love anyway? Yeah, I think we we have stuck to the multiple points of view for every book. We've had, you know, dual for the first couple and then you are not alone. There was multiple and the golden couple again is dual. It just works. And I think partly that's because we like to see things from different perspectives. We realize there is no one way of looking at a situation that is absolute. For example, take a car accident or take a bank robbery. You're going to get a different story from every single witness there because everybody saw things from a different angle, through a different lens, maybe bringing their own interpretations of the event. Their subconscious will play a part in this interpretation as well. So I guess that is why we like to play around with different perspectives to kind of bounce them off each other. That adds to the tension for us. It's just a fuller story, too. I happen to love multiple points of view of the same thing because it shows a bigger picture. I think you just said that so elegantly. I was like bumbling around (laughs) for five minutes trying to trying to find that one lovely line. I love it. I love it. I'm going to say that next time. I think you both said that really well. I'm just going to sit here and listen. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk. You've mentioned it a little bit about the conversations between your books. So your first book, The Wife Between Us, set the bar very high. And I've heard you say you, as we've just been discussing, wanted to go deep into psychology for the second book, which you did. And now with The Golden Couple, where would you say this sort of fits in? Or or more generally, how does your last book sort of inform your next book? I keep saying, I, I think Sarah would agree with this, that The Golden Couple has two of our favorite topics to explore, which are like complicated relationships and psychology. So in some ways, it's like a mashup of our favorite interests, but we don't like to repeat ourselves. So like for an anonymous girl, Jess, one of the characters was in the first person, Dr. Shields was in the second person. And Sarah and I, when we spent a lot of time thinking about the best way to tell that particular story. And in fact, we rewrote sections of the book in the first person, the second person, the third person, each character to see how the story best unfolded. And that's the same thing like with You Are Not Alone. It started off, we didn't originally have all those characters. We just decided that we wanted to get more and more points of view. So that kind of evolved as the story unfolded. And then the same thing with the golden couple, where it was who was going to have the first person, who was going to be the third person. We spent a lot of time thinking about the most effective and entertaining way to tell a story. 
And people are always very curious when there's dual authors. We've interviewed Liv Constantine and Corinne and I have written together. And so, so we take it for granted that, yeah, we get it. You can, two people can write one story. (laughs) But a lot of people, when we did the Liv Constantine one, we're like, can you ask them how, because this was a live event, can you ask them how they actually write together? And I know you guys, I think. Very unique process. Yes. Very unique process where you both really write every word or try to. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I think people find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, early on, we were introduced by Greer's daughter to Google Docs and Google Hangouts, which was like a miracle for us because we're terrible with technology. Like, honestly, the fact that we're both here today and you can hear us is such a triumph that we will be celebrating for weeks. (laughs) Um, But we were on Google Docs and Google Hangouts, and we quickly shut off the camera on Google Hangouts because we, you know, sort of looking at ourselves, making coffee and moving around the kitchen and all of that. And we needed as few distractions as possible when we're working. But you can see the words on the page like forming in real time and react and respond to them. You can go in and type a suggested, cross out a word, type a little comment in the side. So we were on having conversations during the writing of the first three books constantly. You know, we would go, our day began with a walk and talk and we would kind of talk out the scenes and get them into a, almost into a reel that we were seeing seeing, we're both fairly visual. So if we can see it playing out like a movie scene, then we know we're ready to get it on the page. So that worked well. And then COVID happened. And I had my home undergoing renovations. My boyfriend moved in with me. I had four kids at home. It was total insanity. Greer had two dogs who are adorable, but like to make their presence known. Her kids at home, her husband. So we had to shake it up a little uh, more then. And we would still do our walk and talks, but we did do more individual writing just because it was too loud to have our microphones on in our house. And how did this process change? Do you feel like one, this was better or worked out better or they just have pluses and minuses? I'd say pluses and minuses, Greer. What do you think? I think pluses and minuses. I was glad that we could be nimble enough to adjust because even the fact that like my husband would come in and my little office was like right near the kitchen and he'd make these smoothies every day. Then like the blender would be whirling. And Sarah said to one reporter, like it's the creative process is hampered when you hear like, mom, what's for lunch in the background, you know? So I think we are grateful that we could be nimble, but it was just different. I mean, the main thing, like Sarah and I, our two favorite words are like, what if? and the brainstorming process. And so the fact that we could keep that, that's like the most important part that we were able to maintain. By the way, I will say, what if great words for the creative process, terrible for real life. I am so bad with like, oh God, what if this happens? Oh no, what if this happens? Or or alternatively, when I'm in a good place, I'm like, oh, what if? Like, you know, yeah. dreaming about things that aren't here. And I'm always struggling to kind of stay in the present. But I want to talk more about your partnership through something that Kate and I really love, which is astrology. And I don't need to tell you this, but astrologically, you two are a fantastic 
partnership. So I did some research, as a good journalist would do. You're an Aquarius and a Sagittarius, is that correct? Yes. And both of you a little cuspy on the early side, right? Yeah. It's November and January, but that works. That's great. So this I found from Thought Catalog. Both Aquarius and Sagittarius want an active and free-flowing life. They will find that even if they do things differently, they share values, interests, and activities. Aquarius will use their intelligence and innovation for new projects, while Sagittarius will carry them out. The Sagittarius is mutable while the Aquarian is fixed. So while the Aquarius likes to work to the conclusion of projects, Projects, Sagittarius is shifting frequently. As long as they communicate, which they both have no problem doing, they will remain strong. Sagittarius and Aquarius admire and respect each other and their unique differences. Aquarius will appreciate Sagittarius's strength and Sagittarius will enjoy Aquarius's intelligence. They make for a dynamic team. Oh my yeah. God, I just got chills. That's impressive. That wow. is. Now wait, which one? You didn't say who's who, Corinna. I don't know which one's. Oh, sorry. Greer is the Aquarius. <laughs> And Sarah okay. is the Sagittarius. Okay, got that. And well, I was going to guess, cool. but I'm just making a sure. little bit more. The two zodiac signs are both out of the box thinkers and have a wise sage quality to them. They know how to party late into the night, but will be up for a long existential chat over their morning cup of coffee or walk. That's right. It's an intellectual and philosophical connection. Wow, that is really cool. That is that. really yeah. cool. Wait, what signs are you guys? So I'm a Leo, also a fire sign, like Sagittarius, yes. Sagittarius, but fixed like the Aquarius. So Right, a little bit of both. And I am Aries. So the three of us make the fire sign trifecta here. We like the zodiac signs. We also like what's going on, like aside from the zodiac, what's going on. Is everyone agitated today? What's going on in the stars and the cosmos that's affecting us? And so we like to try to bring a little bit of that to the podcast every episode. So we, we like to say, because we're both lawyers and control freaks, so we have to find some other way to surrender our control and think that there's the universe or something bigger play, which I feel like you guys at the beginning when you told your story. I mean, I feel like that magic or that what brought you guys together. We like to we like to do it through astrology, but it's just some way for us to sort of think that there's something bigger so at play. so perfectly and it said. really yeah. resonates i mean there's just it helps us understand ourselves yes. characters we love it yeah i would say that was a lot of that is accurate it's probably never 100 percent accurate but there were definitely pieces of it and i love hearing my horoscope i have a friend's daughter who's very into astrological signs she'd be like oh you're doing that because you're a sagittarius and she'll just <laughs> give me a knowing look and i'm like what what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> How yeah, is that this does freak me? people out. I do that yeah. to people too, and they're like, "What does that mean?" I'm like, "Just yeah." Just but when know it's spot it on, is. it's it's crazy. It's like, how are you reading my journal? Like, how <laughs> how do you know this? I love to point out when someone is not acting like themselves. I'm like, "Wait, what's your moon sign?" Like, yeah. I need to know. We like to know all the parts of someone's sign because your sun sign is just one, is just aspect. one piece. Yeah. So your moon sign is how you are on the inside, and then you have a rising sign, which is sort of how you present to the world. So when someone doesn't really seem like their sign, I'm always like, like Corinne's saying, like, I, I think I need to know more here. And that often explains And it. we just found Venus signs, which is how you love and how you connect. It's not just love, like romantic love, it's partnership and, and all sorts of connection. And so we've been obsessed with them. Yeah. After we finish this interview, I think we're going to call you up for like private readings. And, uh, Listen, have you, we just have need you... your time of birth. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm setting it up. We can do it all. Um, Corinne, my husband is an Aries and he is not a very woo-woo person, but he 
talks quite often says, I'm doing this because I'm an Aries. I'm doing this because I'm an Aries. So oh, I feel, yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you should talk to Corinne then. She, okay. can, she can give you insight. He has, he has very Aries. strong feelings about Aries. Yeah. Which is, by the way, Aries. that's an Aries yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes, yes, totally. Uh, one thing I wanted to add about when we were just talking about Sarah and I and our walk-in talks, but one of the things that we also did, is we didn't always start our walks talking about books and characters. We would often talk about what was going on in our lives before we even got to the book. Because if someone's having an issue with a child or a parent or the things that women go through, it's going to affect the day's work, right? And it's going to affect the way your kind of your perspective on how you're approaching things. So it's really important to that's just important, but I think sort of cathartic for us to say, whatever, like I got into an argument with my kid about XYZ or whatever the thing was to kind of get that out. Oh, yeah, we do that. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I mean, we go, the taping of an episode could be an hour, an hour and a half, and then the pre or post discussion can be longer. Than yeah, exactly. Which is we have to build in a lot of extra nature. time. Yeah, yes, for the let's talk about what's going on in our lives takes up a lot of time. But I agree with you. And actually, recently, we had one of those sessions, like you're talking about our personal stuff. And then we went straight into taping and we felt like it got us, I don't know, like got the juices flowing, like you said, and it made the episode even better. So even though they weren't related. That's right, because we do, we, Kate, this, I think we need to take this on because we usually save it for after, just in case we don't have time, we have to get the work done and then we chat. But I think... Greer is on to something here. You've got to do it beforehand. Yeah, I think beforehand is good. Not only does it loosen you up, but you know, you're getting another viewpoint of your life when you talk to a trusted friend. They're weighing in. They're giving you that second perspective that we were just talking about within our novels. And often, you know, you'll as you begin to see something and and maybe, you know, say it was a bad interaction with somebody and you're turning it around, you're looking at it in different ways, it can sometimes give us a clue into something we want to build in into one of our novels. Some sort of dynamic or detail might find its way, maybe not in the perfect form that it presented itself to us, but in some kind of camouflaged way in our books. Oh, I mm. love that. Yeah. Definitely and that, that shift in perspective, that makes sense. Yeah. That's universal. So we know you have so many projects going on in the hopper at all times. So we do have to ask, what are you working on now? I assume maybe a new book or I know you've been working on some adaptations of your work so anything you can share on that what you're working on now yeah so we have I mean in terms of the film stuff you know we were commissioned to write a screenplay for Amblin for the wife between us and nothing's happening yet but they do keep re-upping the contract so like we have fingers and toes crossed and they were incredibly incredibly supportive with that and we're hoping for some good news that can be announced about the golden couple and then we have another book under contract with st martin's together and then sarah and i are both working on something individually as well Oh, nice i was gonna ask you that okay that's exciting yeah, I mean, Greer and I are writers and we're a writing team. As creative people, we all like to mix things up now and then. So we're both working on individual projects. So I'll have a solo book coming out uh, next summer with the same editor and publisher that does ours. And Greer is working on her project too. So lots 
some good stuff ahead. All good writing ahead. Yeah, more is always better for us. Yes. <laughs> we also want to ask you, what are you obsessed with right now? Anything you've read, movies, TV shows? I know that, Sarah, you had commented on Inventing Anna. You're loving that. Loving it so far. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I love anything Shonda Rhimes does. And that story gripped us. We were like, we could have written this character. She's like Elizabeth Holmes, like one of those characters that had we written her, nobody would have believed. Nobody would ever be like that. But she is wild. And I'm about halfway through it. I am just loving watching that series. It's a limited series. Yeah. Julia Garner, the, all the performances. Julia Garner is, I think, one of the best actresses from Ozark. And then she was in that, she was Paula Jones in the, in whatever that show was. She's so good. I seem to be obsessed with everything with the word yellow right now. So I loved yellow jackets. Did yellow. you guys watch that? <laughs> Oh my god! I only watched the couple. I know it was. It's a little creepy. It's creepy. creepy It is definitely creepy for sure. But I was just. I thought like the the Lord of the Flies teenage angst, and then the contemporary you know women today, and then I've also just gotten really turned on to Yellowstone, which were it's the fourth season. Yes. Yeah. It's like I feel like it's like Succession set in Montana. Um, Yes, that's exactly what I've heard. Right. People say if you love Succession, why aren't you watching this? I have. Yes, and we do love Succession. Yeah. 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 It's really good. That's you know TV. I love it. I love the yellow. She's got a yellow theme going. It's kind of like the golden couple theme. It's golden yellow. It's just seeping out into... Sarah. I'm obsessed with golden retrievers. So, yeah. Yeah. I keep seeing golden retrievers everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, that was cute. I can't get another dog, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a yellow dog. I saw saw her walk past you. (laughs) Did you see her? Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the Golden Couple is out today, and I'm excited about it. I have read all of your books together and most of your books individually. I just, I don't want to, you know, I'm a lawyer. I can't commit myself if I can't remember right this minute. But this, The Golden Couple, I thought was definitely one of your best, if not the best. I was just so excited by Avery, and Marissa feels so relevant. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So good. We're so excited. Thank you both so much. Thank you.